Today on the Church Next podcast, learn about the origins, history, and ministry of one of the church's most profound vehicles for telling the Christian story, stained glass. Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Brignac. I'll be your host. Today's podcast will be an episode on stained glass. For centuries, the beauty and inspiration of stained glass has been one of the most recognizable and effective ways that God has used to touch souls through art. It is also a topic about which I am extremely enthusiastic, and I will try to keep my geeking out on it to a minimum. Stained glass expert and Washington National Cathedral tour guide Jackie King knows all about stained glass for decades She's been captivated by the color, style, and texture of stained glass. She's been leading groups through the Washington National Cathedral, telling about the magnificent windows there, and today she shares her insights. If you'd like to learn more about this unique way of expressing the Christian faith, you'll enjoy this episode, and if you'd like to see some of the types of windows that we discuss in this episode, In the episode notes, I've included a link to a PDF so that you can get a few visuals. It's not extensive, but it'll give you a sense of what we're talking about if you want to look at a few images of the types of stained glass that Jackie discusses. Our podcasts are curated from our online learning library at churchnext.tv. You can learn more about us there, and if you'd like to support us, please consider a $9 monthly subscription, which will give you access to all of our individual online classes. Your generosity helps us produce digital experiences that help shape disciples. For many Christians, the great beauty of stained glass has the power to elevate our minds into contemplation of the majesty of our Lord the glory of the created universe, and our connection with the great cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. The power of stained glass windows lies in their effects on the senses and the heart as well as the brain. Like a good story or any other good piece of visual art, stained glass windows speak to us on multiple levels. The craftspeople who make stained glass windows use basic elements from the earth, much as their predecessors did centuries ago. From sand, stone, ashes, and metal oxides, human beings harness light and use it to imitate and celebrate the glory of God and God's creation. Today, Jackie King discusses the history of stained glass windows, the process by which artists create and install them in churches, the different styles that people have used over the centuries in designing stained glass windows for churches, and the purpose and ways to appreciate stained glass windows as part of of your experience of the divine. Stained glass as an art form is so old that we cannot be entirely sure when and where it began. The oldest stained glass artifacts that archaeologists have so far found are colored glass beads from the third century before the common era in Egypt. Ancient Romans and Phoenicians also excelled in producing colored glass. We know that some first century common era Romans used glass in their windows. The earliest evidence for stained glass windows at a church comes from two 7th century abbeys in England, at Yarrow and at Monk Wearmouth, both of which were run by the same abbot. Fragments of stained glass from these sites are some of the oldest examples of stained glass windows in churches. Painted glass came a bit later. An extremely early stained glass picture, a painted 8th to 10th century head of Christ, 
was found at Lorsch Abbey in Germany in the 1930s, and another in better shape was found at the Abbey Church of St. Peter in Wissenberg, Alsace. If you go to Augsburg Cathedral in Germany, you can see five early 12th century windows. These are the earliest European stained glass windows to have survived intact. Here's Jackie to talk about the origins of stained glass as a ministry. Stained glass is really colored glass, and before the creation of the windows, glass had been used in Christian churches for domes uh, and mosaics. I think it was about the 8th or 9th centuries that windows were created, which added an extra dimension because you have the light coming from nature's source of power, the sun. Uh, And so the artist then can use that light, nature's light, And keep in mind, uh, in those times, there was no electricity. So light was, from nature's light, was very powerful uh, and treated with great respect. And as a result, when the sun goes down, the light goes down, then the windows sleep. So it's always important to remember when looking at stained glass windows that it, in fact, is the power of nature that the artist is bringing through to us. And for many people, people... Uh, with deep faith, that light that penetrates the colored glass, which is not flat, it has de- different angles, so the light coming through is refracted out at different angles, changing all the time with the movement of the sun and the earth. Uh, and that light may be interpreted by many as the presence of God, but for all of us, <coughs> excuse me, light is a powerful symbol, a positive symbol. Of course, this this art form evolved over the years, um, from the 1100s, well, right through to even today in Washington National Cathedral, uh, where we have wonderful examples of many kinds of stained glass windows. These windows have a role to play in that they instruct, teach with their imagery, and inspire and enlighten with the powerful symbol of light. Uh, But in the church environment, uh, they would be demonstrating um, stories, Bible stories, as a way of teaching because, again, back in those centuries, most people were uneducated. So symbolism, imagery was very important. But I I imagine anyone who came into the churches, I'm sure it was families, would come in and immediately get the message, if it were a Gothic structure uh, with its pointed arrows in the form of arches, uh, get the message to look up and then be quite delighted by the light coming through and also the candle power too. Uh, Whether or not they could interpret the, the message, they would presumably in Western Europe get some help from the monks who were educated but certainly there would be an image there with the radiance of the light that would reach to them. The artists were more or less uh, traditional in their style in the early times. Um, I think as time progressed, then um, maybe a little more license was applied uh, and the artist um, may have moved up to a later period in history, for example, for the dress the dress code, as it were. 
Uh, there are some windows that have a very contemporary, very modern uh, imagery, um, and some that are almost totally abstract. They are so, so modern. Uh, people do interpret things differently, but overall, they all are affected by, and they all appreciate the power of the light, certainly when the sun is shining and that dramatic, um, uh, as it were, kaleidoscopic effect of the light moving around the stone. We have some good information about how people made stained glass in the Middle Ages. In the early 12th century, a German monk who used the name Thilophilius, though that might have been a pseudonym, he wrote a treatise called On Diverse Arts, in which he discusses, in very useful detail, the methods by which medieval artists made stained glass windows. The steps that he describes include the creation of the glass itself. They did that by melting potash, which was a combination of sand and wood ash. They added powders to the molten glass to color it. The artist created a picture of the window and the colored glass was laying over the picture. The pattern was traced onto the glass and the pieces cut and in some cases painted with a glass paint made of iron oxide and ground copper mixed with powdered glass. The pieces were wrapped in lead strips, fitted together and soldered into place, and a cement made of unknown ingredients, though historians speculate that chalk and linseed oil were involved, was applied to the lead and the window was installed. Jackie will explain modern methods of creating stained glass windows in her next talk, and if you compare them to the ways that people made them for medieval churches, you'll find that very similar methods and challenges unite stained glass artists of today with their predecessors of many centuries ago. Glass is made uh, from a mix of sand or flint with a flux added, soda ash, and a stabilizer such as limestone. It is heated and cooled carefully Color is added by throwing in uh, chemical oxides and metallic oxides to produce a variety and a blend of color. The glass is then blown into bubbles by skilled glass blowers and cooled very carefully. Detail can be added at a later stage with a very fine uh, glass paint, which is a mix of iron oxide and ground glass. So it's a glass paint. That is used for fine detail, for shading, uh, drapery, fold, shading, clouds, example. You, you will see examples on the imagery. The church designates an artist, commissions a theme to be sketched. The artist must provide a life-size sketch. That sketch is called a cartoon. The artist needs to know the location of the window, north, south, east, west, also the climate, because the artist is working not just with glass, but also with light. And it's light that is the key factor in this art form. 
A window was discovered in the 1930s in Germany uh, and dates back to the 9th or 10th century. From then on, the art of stained glass in Christian churches just blossomed and flowered within the great Gothic structures, such as here. (laughs) And it also changed a little in that styles varied and themes varied. Now, the artist presents his cartoon to a committee in the church, and if accepted, uh, then that original sketch, the cartoon, in which also lead lines are painted. Lead is used to wrap around the pieces of glass. And that cartoon, that sketch, can be used as pattern pieces. Glass is selected by the artist and also often by a fabricator the person who is actually going to cut the glass and assemble. Sometimes it can be the same person. Uh, Sometimes it can be done by two people or by also a studio. So when the glass is selected, the pattern pieces are applied and the glass is cut very carefully. Um, It's a very demanding occupation and requires really skillful uh, men and women to achieve the final product. The glass pieces are then... uh, wrapped around with tiny, narrow strips of lead. They're called kames. And then those kames containing the pieces of glass are soldered together into panels. And then the panels are installed within the frame of the setting, within the stone, that is. When the window is completed, the bars uh, of the panels are attached to the metal bars within the stone, uh, then it's brushed with like a, a sort of dusting so that it is, there are no cracks. The glass itself is very strong and can survive even some earthquakes too. But sometimes the lead over the years does um, diminish, is diminished, depending on the chemical content of the lead. And sometimes those windows have to be replaced. The lead has to be replaced. And in order to make that easier for the uh, artist who is preserving the windows, there's usually a narrow frame around each panel, the lancets, so that the, uh, the artist or the craftsperson who is uh, going to stabilize the window again can chip away at the outside edge and remove the panels. The styles that churches have chosen for their stained glass windows have often reflected broader artistic movements of their times. I found a lot of really exciting images of different examples of stained glass that fit into various different artistic movements, and those are in the course on which this podcast is based, but I obviously can't do it over a podcast, but there's a link to that PDF I mentioned that offers different examples of stained glass from various different artistic movements that show up in churches. So here's Jackie talking about stained glass windows in churches as they reflect the artistic movements of their various periods. The artists were more or less uh, traditional in their style in the early times. I think as time progressed, then 
um, maybe a little more license was applied uh, and the artist um, may have moved up to a later period in history, for example, for the dress, the dress code, as it were. Uh, there are some windows that have a very contemporary, very modern uh, imagery, um, and some that are almost totally abstract. They are so, so modern. Over the years in the Middle Ages, as more and more donors were requesting personalized symbols, heraldry, for example, uh, then yes, then, then uh, I think I mentioned it, it, it blossomed during the Middle Ages, but faded a little because of that use of enamels, uh, glass paint, because the more that's actually painted on, not in the original mix, the light is then blocked. So the glass began to be used more like a canvas. Uh, then there was a movement in the um, late 17, early 1800s in Western Europe, uh, pre-Raphaelite movement, for example, when there was an effort to try to get back to the original, um, so to imitate the original uh, work of the artists in the Middle Ages. Um, and I think we see some fine examples uh, of windows here that are unfilmed, unpainted, um, with just the paint being used for the detail. It's very difficult to have a favorite because the styles vary. I do have one at the moment is my favorite that reaches out. It has a very powerful emotional effect. It's done by an artist from Hungary, Irving Boshani, who's done several, couple of windows here in the cathedral. And it's one that, dis that displays the role of women um, but it has just incredible glass uh, and his sketching, his drawing is such that you can almost stand in front and if you know nothing about the window or what it, the story is telling you, uh, it can reach you emotionally with the, the way he entwines his figures and you can see that connection between the figures and you can interpret what, what is, is happening between the relationship. The colors, the glass, uh, here I get a bit technical, but there's some wonderful pieces of glass that combine, combine various ways of achieving color, of mixing color, combining color, keeping in mind that the artist uh, wanting to bring in as much light as possible uh, would try to get as much emotion or uh, imagery in one piece of glass without breaking it up with a lead line or with extra color. And, uh, there is one, um, Brenda Belfield, who's done a lot of work here at the cathedral. Uh, she has a towel full of windows on the theme of water. They are totally abstract and they are incredible because she uses line and form. There are 22 windows on the theme of water. I think we are at a height, so it's reaching out to um, a far broader um, generation, I think, such as many things need to now reach out in a different way. Finally, Jackie talks about the best ways to experience the magnificent stained glass windows of the Washington National Cathedral, but her discussion 
could easily apply to your experience of stained glass windows at your church or at other churches. I think it's good to view from a distance first uh, and then move in a little closer. Uh, I have a great appreciation for the art form, the technique, um, as well as the storytelling, uh, but they can be combined. But I think standing back a little to appreciate the image and then moving in and on closer examination, look for the detail of the imagery uh, and then connecting that detail when perhaps the main figure. Some windows, many windows, have a lot of detail in them that it does take a long time to read. So it will require the person looking to spend a little more time rather than just a brief look. But even with a brief look at a window, uh, it, it can reach to you and make you stop and think and forget your busy day or how tired you are. We do recommend people do bring binoculars but again, on that note, many of the windows done by the American artist Rowan LeCompte, who has died, um, he elongated his figures so that um, they can be read more easily from a distance. And that was done deliberately. But again, in the 19th, up to the, about the 1950s, um, that wasn't the case. And the figures are very small. So they do, you do need the power of, of binoculars to interpret all the images. In the Middle Ages, there was no writing. Uh, and in fact, there are many windows here um, in the Gothic structures because people could not in, read. So why have writing? Um, it probably would have been Latin anyway. Uh, but uh, there are windows with writing. Again, one would need to uh, get up close to see that. We do not have many with uh, writing on. Um, usually in, uh, from the 1930s on, there may be a little signature, there may be a symbol. For example, in these windows, there is a symbol that designates where these windows were made, by whom they were made. Uh, but it's important, I think, if you have the opportunity to go in and look at a window, just to absorb that window. Um, and sometimes it's good to look at something and have no pre-knowledge of it. I think the imagery, the figures can, yes, they can tell a story, but of, uh, it can be a deeper, a deeper impact um, depending on, on the viewer uh, and, and their knowledge of life and their life experience. Um, I have a, some years of life experience, so um, and maybe if they have an interest in loss, an interest in religious history, too, uh, then more can be interpreted. But there is a wonderful mix um, of themes, of stories here at the cathedral. There are some strictly biblical, such as the windows in Bethlehem Chapel here. And then it evolves and it mixes biblical, secular, and also national themes, themes about this nation's history, world events, that can all be combined, but in a spiritual way. So there's a spiritual backdrop in whatever you see, whatever the image. Um, and obviously, uh, people have their preferences, um, but again, they all speak to us, again, through the light medium. I think for those with, with deep faith, 
who have a belief in God, then certainly that can enrich their lives, enrich, enrich their faith. And for those who maybe don't or, or it's not important at that moment in their lives, they can come in and look at a stained glass window. And it has a way of really making one forget what is happening outside and makes one sort of think on a different level, uh, which I think is a good thing. And I think that level will reach out to a positive end. That is the end of Jackie's talk. If you'd like to learn more of Jackie's thoughts on stained glass, the best way to do that is to take her tour at the Washington National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., where they have some of the most magnificent windows, including one that incorporates a piece of moon rock, very famous one, and they have a gargoyle shaped like Darth Vader's head. So any opportunity you have to visit that incredible cathedral, I would recommend taking it. Other Church Next classes that might interest you if you liked this podcast include a whole series on the Washington National Cathedral. One of them, Introducing Washington National Cathedral, is available as a podcast. Other courses in this series have worked better as courses thus far than as podcasts because they involve so many visuals, but we are obviously experimenting with adapting these courses to podcasts using attachments like the PDF I've mentioned. So, We'll be getting some of those up in the near future. There's a wonderful one on flowers as a ministry that I think you'll find very interesting. We also have Angels in Artwork with Scott Brown and Praying the Stations of the Cross with Catherine Burleson. These are also courses at present, not podcasts, but again, we may be able to adapt them. The Praying the Stations of the Cross one's cool because it's done by an artist who utilizes her paintings of the various Stations of the Cross to talk about the Stations of the Cross liturgy. If you'd like to learn more about these courses or just browse around, go to churchnext.tv. That's the end of today's podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. May the Lord bless us and keep us all. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace today and forever. Amen. Amen.